first of all pay attention to what you're really excited about when when you show up as a designer always have try and have as much fun as possible to find people with different skills that you can collaborate with without humility then you will not really understand greatness yo 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 well thanks for joining me over over breakfast so how how did we meet actually do you want to tell that story <laughs> well we met at a so I'll tell a bit of a background from my side. So I just came back from, I got back from Rwanda in 2015, I believe. And yeah, the, the design scene in Nairobi was buzzing. Design was expanding, a lot of things were going on. And around about that time, I got to know the, the current MD of at idea.org, Tosh. And so we had a couple of conversations and when I, got back to Nairobi, he organized this workshop around design thinking and design thinking for what's turned out to be the Nairobi Design Institute. And during that workshop, I got to meet a lot of really seasoned designers as well as up and coming designers. And fortunately for me, I was in the same group as you. And that's when I got to meet you and our relationship you know, was, it grew organically from that point and we got to talk a lot. Um, you mentored me through a lot of these different design disciplines and principles that I didn't know about. I was really just focused on graphic design, but I had an interest in what's out there in the world of design and my deep passions were to find a way how, on how design can change communities and you know bring in sustainability and so that was just the birth of of all that when i realized that you understand design in a deeper context in a deeper way your your knowledge and depth in design was really what i needed at that point so i think that's how our friendship started and that's when i got to know you okay thanks for that so how did you, you said you were into graphic design when we met. So how did you get into graphic design and the design in the first place? My journey to graphic design was very interesting. I think prior to getting into graphic design, I was, so my dad is a retired photographer and he was a photojournalist for so many years. And so I think we just grew up with that creative culture in the house and my mom loved knitting and, and it was just some creative buzz. I, I used to sketch a lot and draw a lot when I was a little younger, but then that kind of faded away. You get to unlearn some of these things, you know, with the current um, education syllabus. But then at some point when I finished high school, I wanted to get into photography, photojournalism like my dad, and we had a long chat and the final decision was no. <laughs> so I had to look for something else to do. And that was film and, you know, taking, filming, doc like uh, producing documentaries. And at that point is when, you know, my interest in that creative side of telling stories originated. Mm. But with the way things are, things were at that point, there wasn't much to do in the world of documentaries. You had to get to a certain level and get a lot of hand-holding along the way. It's not something really easy. And if you don't know the, the industry really well, 
it will take a really long time to get to where you intend to be. So my interest in that kind of died down. And I, I 3D animation was popping then. It was about 2009. Uh, 3D animation was really popping in Nairobi. And so I got into that. But through this institution called Shanta in, in Nairobi, I met a couple of designers who were 3D animation and graphic design. And so that's when I got into graphic design a lot more and my interest grew and I started looking for freelance gigs here and there. And, and that's, that's pretty much where, where it all started. <laughs> I stumbled upon it, <laughs> so to speak. Well, photography is a really good introduction into the creative arts, isn't it? It's yeah. especially these days, it's really accessible. It gives you a good understanding of framing and rule of thirds and things like that. And True. it's good that you mentioned your father. I wanted to, wanted to ask about him. How is he, first of all? Dad's, dad's doing okay. He's back at the hinterlands, <laughs> back in rural Kisumu. And, mm -hmm. you know, he's just taking one day at a time. He's enjoying living in the countryside. Not doing much of photography, but we have conversations every now and again about uh, photography, film, and what I do, um, mm -hmm. my day-to-day -day job. Yeah, yeah. I remember I went to visit him in his studio, and yeah. we had yeah. we had a really good chat. So, what with with some of the stuff that you've done with him, and some of the chats that you've had since you've been doing design, what sort of input what sort of stories have you got with that well i think i attribute my storytelling abilities and just general curiosity from i trace it from my dad because when he transitioned from photojournalism to a photography trainer with kodak back in the day he traveled a lot and he traveled a lot in sub-saharan africa training different photographers that was back in the day when film was the in thing and there was this one guy in the community who was known as the photographer. And they used to take pictures with tiny Kodak cameras. And, and my dad was assigned by Kodak to go and train those photographers so that they can, you know, as, as they're earning their daily living, they can make, create better memories. Mm. And so he used to train a lot of photographers and, but also with the training, he'd take his own pictures and use those pictures to, to tell stories to not only the photographers, but whenever he'd come back and he'd make this, print out these large pictures and tell us stories about those places. And his stories are very captivating. I remember he also had like a slide projector and we'd host visitors at our home every um, once in a while and he'd project it on the wall and it was like movie time. You know, like the way IMAX is a big thing right now. That was the IMAX I grew up watching. Like, too. And so wow. he'd one slide and he'd go on like for about eight to 10 minutes on one slide telling stories about that place, the people in that place, the interactions he'd have, he'd have with people within that area. And later on, I didn't realize that that had an impact in what I later on became to be as we speak. <laughs> Yeah, wow. It sounds like you had like full-on documentaries to yourself with him. <laughs> yeah. Yep. I wish I wish we filmed those sessions because they were they were really lively. They were very lively. 
That's the thing. It's I even said to my grandfather, you know, he he wasn't getting why I want to record my conversations with him. And and you know, I've just been doing it, but then I explained to him, well, granddad, what if you could watch the conversations your granddad was having, right? Yeah. Imagine, yeah. and we're really the first generation who gets to see people who, who aren't alive, I guess. Yeah. So, yeah. or one yeah. of the first anyway. So we're very, very fortunate. It's like a catch-22 kind of situation, if you look at it from that angle where you're the master of the craft so why do you need someone to take to document what you're doing <laughs> and so it's mm -hmm. it, yeah um, i'm interested tell me i think with a lot of people a lot of photographers so one of the people my dad was very fortunate to work with is the late Mohammed amin and he he knew that his craft was very different and the style of work he was doing was very different. So I think he got to travel with photography assistants every time he'd go out and they document what he's doing and he documents like what the assignment is. And so through that, there are quite a lot of pictures that show Mohammed Amin live in action. And you, then you can also see the pictures that he was taking while he was on assignment but he had a strategy he was very forward thinking there are not many people who do that or who did that back in the day right now is when i'm seeing through documentaries and pictorial and video documentaries that people are taking time to you know tell the story through what their assignment is but also have other people document what they are doing and I think that's that, that's where the, some of the greatest stories lie, where you know you get to see the person and how they react to when they're in assignments, and you know how that assignment affects them and how they approach it, their techniques to approaching. It's just like one one example. So mm -hmm. if um, there was this one documentary I watched, and it's this guy who was documenting a death that happened, a strange death that happened within a village in Latin America, South America. And he was with his um, assistant and the assistant was filming him trying to have a conversation with the people there is like almost coming down to their level, that humility and that empathy. You know, when you see it live in action and you get to understand how to even approach it, you're inspired by how he takes the time to really empathize with the people and get permission. Um, and I think part of the process of getting consent to talk to people is showing them the empathy that you're really there to, to listen to them. They are the experts and you're there just, you know, as this bridge um, mm -hmm. to listen to their stories and, and have them inspire some creative solutions. Mm. Yeah. I'm glad you brought that up. I, it's something I was thinking about as well as if we can, again, back to, back to that conversation with my grandfather, he said, you know, that, oh, people, he's a model maker. So, oh, people, you know, don't appreciate the art of cutting anymore. And I said, well, the, uh, the art of cutting is just, that's just a process. It's a, a tool that you're using to get to the end result. And again, if I'd given you laser cutting 50 years ago, 
you may have been able to to expand model making in other fields rather than that particular or another thing and it it's almost like the skills of a master aren't contained within the toolkit it's it's beyond that you want to understand what the master is thinking and how their approach yeah. to life affects their process right yeah 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 i i like that and that's part of the journey to mastery really where it's not just about the craft but it's also the dedication the effort the time that you put into the craft and what goes on through the motions because you can be ex affected in externally and also internally and so how do you navigate through those motions and and let that guide you to being um a master at your craft mhm mm mhm mm so as you as you learned about design you did some freelancing work right you were kind of doing doing things and picking up projects and doing your own yeah. kind of conceptual projects right and then yeah. and then you ended up at Nairobi Design Institute so how did that happen <laughs> well that journey was a really interesting journey i think the pivotal point to how it you know transitioned into CDs when I worked at Nation Media Group when I worked as a graphic designer with the marketing department mm. and I realized that the print the, the graphics I was creating that were going to print there's a way that they had an effect on the people who were consuming them and so that got me really curious it's like how does the colors I create and the look and feel you know like influence someone's behavior decision making process and that was like oh okay so it's not just about creating print and beautiful colorful artwork there's something more to it there's a behavior side that that exists and that really sparked like working very closely with the marketing um department was one of the best things that ever happened and that was now like how I tr transitioned and so I dug I started getting more curious and digging deeper into that and then conversations with you and you you know understanding more about design and then we had conversations about how to you know get into hcd work and you introduced me to the folks at think place and think place was when you know i transitioned now from graphic design now into um design thinking and the whole hcd world in nairobi uh, and that was when i transition from from that point i worked with um think place for about 7 months 7 to 8 months and i really wanted to you know satisfy my curiosity by understanding how what's what what's the full extent of the process how do you get from you know inspiration into implementation and how do you what are the principles guiding principles that help you navigate through all these steps of design and that's how I got into NDI through quite a number of conversations with Tosh actually when he introduced what NDI was about and what he wanted it to be and we were the <laughs> the guinea pigs <laughs> so to speak because I started I was the part of the first cohort together with a couple of other brave souls <laughs> and we 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 boarded that mission and um that was one of the best experiences we uh, i can say I, i've had um as a 
students of the, the discipline, but also as, as a designer, like trying to get to deeper into the craft and satisfying that curiosity of understanding how can my work, you know, help change the narrative for people in the community and in the different communities that um, I'm designing with, not for. I, I always like to think like I'm, de I'm designing with people and not just for the people. Mm -hmm. So yeah, that that was when that all that <laughs> started happening and a lot of cooking was happening in the process. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah, I like yeah. that. It's it's always about designing with people. And I guess, like you said, you kind of went through that as you went from Nation Media to, to Think Place and then yes. fully on, on board as you went to NDI. Yes, yes. Yeah. So what did you learn at NDI? Quite, quite a lot of things, actually. I think what I knew from... Think Place was really, really good at laying the foundation of what the, the process design thinking and HCD is. But getting into NDI, I start getting into the territories that are not <laughs> the comfortable zones. Because I'm naturally I'm really good at talking to people and conducting interviews. But then there's the thinking aspect of like, okay, so we have these, we have this data, and how do we use this data to, you know, to guide us into ideation, where you, you know, start creating ideas and, and concepts, and now testing them with the back and forth into implementing a solution, or before um, we get into you know, recommending us those solutions that would work for people. So that bit post research was, post field research was where I think I wasn't pretty confident at. And also design, you know, leadership, like taking the, um, an active role at guiding teams and team members to how do we, get to the next stage um, step how do we how do we like in the incremental steps you take to getting to the final part of a pro project and why uh, another thing was i learned was why reviews are really important throughout the the design process why you need to go back and forth with uh, the project lead and with your teammates before you take on the next step because you might assume that Oh, I've done this really cool thing. This is it. And then you take it to the project leader and you're like, I think we have it. And, you know, he or she comes back at you with hard hitting questions and you're like, oh, wow, I didn't think about that. <laughs> and so those reviews where it's not about perfection, but it's about getting to, you know, like tailor, not really tailor, but check, check on where you're at and so that you don't go too deep into whatever you're working on and you end up missing out on so many things that, that really need to make the, the solution or the set of solutions re healthy enough mm. for, yeah, for, for, the, for the final product or for the final um, solution, service, whatever it is that you're, that, that you're aiming to, to design mm. Mm. yeah 
Was there a project at NDI where you really felt, or maybe beforehand, but where you really felt that, ah, now I'm, I'm really getting this, this design thinking? Mm -hmm. So, so I'd worked with marketing departments at Nation Media, but I never knew that design could have a very important, integral part in creating marketing campaigns. So there was this one project that we worked on with one of my good friends, Nairobi Design Institute called Hulita, another great designer. And it was creating a marketing campaign for Moja Wi-Fi. And Moja, Moja was a product by Brick, which a, a local startup. And so they were launching these um, bricks that would go into you know PSVs like Matatus and they had it it was it provides Wi-Fi free Wi-Fi to whoever gets into that Matatu that has Moja Wi-Fi on it. And they had a, a lot of content that they, they were also pushing to the users and a really cool features of how on how people can you know use the platform. But the thing that was the missing gap was how do we get this really cool, amazing product to the people without spending a ton of money on, you know, adverts that don't really make sense and don't really communicate to the users that we're looking to communicate with. And so that was, I think, what we call baptism by fire <laughs> into really understanding HCD and how HCD can be that tool that, that could help you get to really close to the users and also get the product really close to the people's hands, but also understanding how design works from end, end to end. That was that one pro, um, project that I was like, okay, now, now, I, now I get it, now I get it. Mm -hmm. And it was amazing to see how research led into prototyping led into implementing or recommending a set of, of, of solutions that was back to Brick, this is what you can implement. And the team at uh, Brick was really excited to see how research shaped the marketing campaign. Um, because traditionally, a lot of times, people who are in the marketing field approach marketing with like very traditional you know traditional principles that are not updated and don't really speak to the people that you're trying to you know target and so we broke down the different types of users that's something that even i i was i was not really familiar with like how you know breaking down the different archetypes and the different personas can have an effect on the shape of a campaign and so we started understanding okay so this is this persona this is how this these are their behaviors these are their this is what they look for look for when they go and browse and this is how you target them mm -hmm. and we broke it down for the different personas and we used different matrix to you know map out how how to do that in, in a very structured way over a period of time and that, I think that was the point where we were like, okay, 
now I, now I get it. Now, now I totally understand how this thing works. So I just a couple of more projects and I'll get, I'll start getting more confident at the at understanding the craft better and being a better designer. Mm-hmm. Thanks yeah. for that. Yeah. The target market and getting insights on, on the actual people using what you're designing is, is one of the most important things, isn't it? And those assumptions yeah. that we make as humans, can you think off the top of your head any of any of the assumptions that you've made, maybe during that project or another one that, that sh- shocked you or surprised you? Yeah, I think some of the assumptions we made were personally like <laughs> guilty as charged is that marketing you know, placing placing marketing material at, you know, places like Vibandas where they sell grocery alongside the road might not have an impact. People will pass uh, pass them by. If you don't communicate to the people on ground onto like about this is what the product is about and this is how you can benefit from from using it, then you know it's that doesn't have an impact. We don't need to talk to them. But then we realize that um, through research that these people who are, you know, close to where a lot of traffic happens, uh, a lot of tra- traffic is rather, they're the, they're the ones who spread the word and they do most of the marketing for you in, in a very organic way. And so getting them on board, first of all, excites them. It's like, oh, wow, you care about me. Okay. So what is this? And you walk them through it and they're like oh okay now i get it oh so i can do okay 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 cool i i'll tell my customers and they have probably about 50 customers you know 30 to 50 customers on any given day and now that was you know something that really surprised me i was like oh wow we normally overlook i used to overlook these people in the past and you know rush to social media influencers (laughs) But I realized that, you know, you can work with people in the community and they can also do that word of mouth marketing for you in a very organic way. And once you empower them and onboard them, they're really excited to do it and they feel part of the process. So that was something that really surprised me. And I was like, (laughs) you know, the research is, is, is really important to understand how, you know, people can be influential in and in what role people play within the community. Different people play within the mm-hmm. community. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's about understanding those relationships, right? And yeah. like you yeah. said, the influencers can be for every every product, every service, the influencers are different people, right? Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. So just to add on to what you said, it, it reshapes the meaning of what an influencer is. Prior to that, I was conditioned to thinking that an influencer only exists on the phone, <laughs> mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Um, on social media. But then there are, you know, the community influencers who have a role to play and they're, they're, they're really powerful on ground. And without, you know, ad- identifying them and talking to them and, and making sure that they're part of the process, then whatever you're trying to do on ground might not take off at all. So, yeah. So, yeah. so then, well, first of all, Moja, well done, and well done on all the all the projects that you did at NDI, and 
also, yeah, you mentioned Julita, and she was, of course, at NDW at the same time. So going through, going through a double design education. So I wanted to ask you actually about, you know, you've mentioned Tosh, who, who brought you in, who's the founder of NDI, and he's now also at IDO.org, where you work. So, mm -hmm. so maybe t tell us about Tosh and how, how he's gotten you involved in these awesome things. Mm, yeah. So I got to, T Tosh, Tosh is, first of all, this character. <laughs> A lot of people know him in, this, in, in the tech scene, in the design scene um, in Nairobi. And I think in many parts of East Africa, but Tosh, so I got to know Tosh while he was working at iHub and he used to organize a lot of these events, community events for techies and designers. And he managed, he was, he was a manager, at, community manager at iHub. And I used to frequent that place when I started transitioning to design thinking. And um, that's what I got to know about him, but we never really spoke at that point. Where we started talking a lot is when he got into Dalberg design and progressed as a designer to a creative lead over the period of about three and a half years, I think. And during that time is I'd ask him occasionally on, on, on Messenger, like what's how do I get to know more about this? Da da da. And those conversations sparked something that was that you know made me more curious about design thinking and HCD and through the workshop that he invited me we got to speak up a lot more after that and when I got into Think Place a couple of months after I joined Think Place he asked me how's my how my experience was and we got to dig deeper and he asked me a couple of questions that were like okay so have you done this what what projects have you done what what have you where where are you in in this in this field of design what are you confident at do you know this do you know about this and some of them were really i was blank it's like what <laughs> and it's like well there's this program that i'm starting at it's called nairobi design institute and the aim is to you know empower people who are already in design to get to the next level of being creative leaders and, and design leaders and also understanding the design process end to end in a nutshell but it was a it was a sermon i think that conversation was more like a sermon and so we when i transitioned to when i got into nairobi design ndi i got it was one of the rarest occasions of actually working with him closely because he's a he was a very busy person he rarely had time before that so whenever projects would come in <laughs> whenever projects came in and he'd come into the, the 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 school the institute we got to see him live in action and and see how he thinks about you know where we are at and um, he wanted to really be thoughtful designers when we take on different parts of the process. And through that, he pushed, personally pushed me, being more 
are rigorous with the work that I do. And also just having fun with the process because mm-hmm. I thought I was really scared at first when I started, I was like, what is this? I don't understand <laughs> a lot of things. A lot of things were Greek, but those, there's a certain way that he helps us approach design like a dance, having a dance, you know, with, with design where you get to learn the steps and then master your steps, master how the room is, the setup of the room, and, and now just glide around. And through that, we became more and more confident at design and, and at approaching the, the process. The crafts, building, actually also building on different crafts that we had in different skills. So like I saw where my skill as a graphic designer came in to play when we were introduced to UI, user interaction design. And suddenly I was interested in something else, which was really exciting. And that, that I can say those are some of the benefits of, of going through NDI. Mm-hmm. So I, I was fortunate enough to attend your graduation and the, the one of the following year as well, the following cohort. And then you very quickly moved to IDEO.org, right? So you've been there how long now? One year. So my first uh, part was eight months and now um, 11. Great. (laughs) So I joined in March 2019. Yeah. We're we're in September right now. Wow. Okay. Time has really gone by quick. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, So yeah, I've been, been, yeah, it's almost two years. It's, It's getting to two years. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You're working yeah, mo- yeah. mostly remotely right now, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, I yes I am. And I think it's it's really been exciting uh, working remotely. And and the thing about idea.org is that the team is made up of very senior, experienced designers, and designers who have different abilities and and skill sets and just very passionate on different (laughs) in different ways Mm. and we're all in one space and the thing about that is that the sharing of resources and the sharing of ideas is so I, i can't compare that experience to anything that i've been through in the past you you are exposed to things that are very high level and and also very mature and seasoned designers but still very humble in how they approach day-to-day activities and how they approach their how they approach design always eager to learn and try new things and push the crafts you know a step further so that's that's what i really enjoy about being at idea.org Hmm. So as you've transitioned from, uh, well, into into a full-time design role like this one, what have the, some of the things been that have surprised you compared to before? Oh, okay. So before, there were certain things I knew about, certain crafts that I knew about design, like user interaction design, UX, product design. But my current role at idea.org is 
design researcher mm. and you know i approached it in a very not not in the most rigorous of ways initially when i started i just thought it was all about you know creating a discussion guide finding out where we can talk to people setting up those interviews and talking to them and voila that's it but the craft itself design research is falling in love with every other day where you realize that the importance of a design researcher to um, a team is this is a person who understands who you're designing for and empathizes with who you're designing for and with but not only that they're able to bring in those user stories to inspire solutions to inspire ideas that will help the or motivate the design team to push the you know the ideas a step ahead and and really think through are these the things that uh, we should be focusing on right now what are and and the design researcher as well asks the right questions that will guide the teams to um thinking through what else are we what do we need to focus on right now what can we leave out how how do these insights guide the story the, the storytelling of how we got to where we are right now mm-hmm. and we and and this is a skill a, a lot of designers can you know can adopt but then this primary custodian of of that is you know lies with the design researcher and so that means that a design researcher has to be really interested in these stories and in these insights and really curious at the same time and that curiosity drives them to inspire the design team to think about how to get deeper and and look at different ideas more holistically but also how how to prioritize what to focus on and when to narrow down on you know these different ideas could you give me an example of of somewhere you've implemented that yeah so i think most recently with the shift in working remotely we were working on one project that looked at designing how to get digital financial services to people living in rural parts of parts of Kenya in specific locations where tech is low literacy is low and so how do you remotely how do you empathize with these people by exploring what's been done before mm-hmm. in other parts and so if this is what's been done how can that inspire us the design team to think about you know healthy ways of prototyping some of these ideas that we had based on the insights that uh, we created from research so we want to so these are the insights we gathered these are the ideas that cropped up from you know from from synthesis and so these ideas we want to prototype them with the people and so we think through the ideas prioritize how do we approach these how do we approach this these different ideas in the fields with the people that with the partners that we're working with so the partners will 
will have their people on ground. So the design researcher will try and understand who are the people that you're working with on ground. What's their level of literacy? What's their level of understanding tech comprehension? How often do they use tech? Okay, so if that's the case, then how do we work with them in a way that they are comfortable and they're excited to prototype these ideas mm-hmm. with the people in the community? Mm-hmm. And it was really beautiful to see that happening in motion. And so we had to really simplify some of the ideas that were really, we, we were really excited. Some, some ideas we were really excited about had to you know, be put aside. It's like, no, that's too complicated for the people that we, wanna, we want to prototype with. So we had to make some of the ideas that the partner was excited about and also members of the team were excited, the design team were excited about, make them better and really well thought out in terms of even the structure. Like if, if these are the things, the assets that require printing, how will we print them? How will we take them? How will we make sure that the, the, the people we're working with in the community get them safely and then how will we prototype them how will we create you know moments of downloading what they've learned and make make them feel that you know make them know that they are either giving us what we need or they're missing out on some of the questions that we really want to understand deeply and and it it can be quite challenging but again it goes back to um, something that i mentioned earlier if you approach it like a dance then you you realize that it's not about hitting that technique immediately you need to understand how how it all works out you need to understand the movements the different moving parts and then you know get get dancing don't wait to be told to you know, to start that, um, to start the dance, just just get into it, um, and then things will fall into place, and you're allowed to allow yourself as a designer to fall forward, make mistakes, and learn from it quickly, and not be very fixated on like oh, I made this mistake, I feel so horrible about it. It's okay, but what can you do better on the next time? And really trusting the team that you're with to guide you into like okay so how can we make um this part of the process really good and really impactful and also get it to the people in the simplest way possible in a way that we'll learn a lot from them and they'll also be excited to share with us those learnings mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah prototyping you've, you've mentioned that a few times there and it's really really a great thing to be prototyping in the field and it's so interesting to have to find the materials and resources that you need for that particular project have you had any super interesting prototypes that you've had to make do with improvise (laughs) improvise yeah yeah there was this one project where we had to create sacrifice like what you call sacrificial concepts in the field with messaging for uh, one campaign that focused on 
that focuses on early child development. Mm-hmm. And so the thing about it is that we're trying to understand which messages resonate with caregivers. And we had a, a couple of caregivers in the room and we, have, we had different messages. So it was like a walkthrough. So we, we show them some messages and we ask them, what does this mean to you? And we started learning a lot. And it was just printouts. And you just lift up the printout and they read it. And they're like, what does this mean to you? What do you see when you close your eyes? What do you see? Mm. What image, what type of image do you see? How does it make you feel? And that inspired, you know, the visual direction. That inspired the type of colors we use. And so very quickly with a comms designer, very brilliant comms designer called Zach, Zach Adele, we're able to put together some concepts for a, like in a very short period of time, a very short turnaround time, and take them out to the field and test them. And then tested the, them with a different set of users and also part of the, the previous you know, users that we had in that interview. And you know, just getting that feedback and, and getting those those learnings and insights whatever we're trying to communicate will are people understanding it or is the message messaging lost in the in through different things that we're putting together and so Mm -hmm. it that was really amazing it was really amazing to see how prototyping rapidly as well gets you to understanding a lot about the the users but also about the ideas that you're putting together Uh, yeah, prototyping's prototyping super super useful. And what, what you've mentioned, some of the people you've worked with at IDEO as well. I know you've got a few people to to a good few people, really more than a few people to look up to there. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, yeah. T- tell me about the people you've been learning from at IDEO, and how how they've helped you. Well. There's this, the, the structures in IDEO are set up in such a way that it's, it's easy for you to really get step, push your craft to the next level if you, if you really want to do that. And once you start to know who's different people and, and what their, their skills are and how they show up within a team, then it's upon me as Don to, to have those conversations with them and learn from them on a one-on-one, but also projects that, you know, changing different people within a project, within different projects. To, so you don't work with the same set of people all the time, mm-hmm. but you get a mix of different um, skills and different crafts in, at different projects. That really pushes your skills as a designer and your, and, and your craft in whatever design discipline that you're focused on. There are a couple of people that I, I really, I'm, I'm always excited to work with, interaction designers, because they bring in a very uh, playful approach to prototyping and also design research. You know, I was, initially when I started, my, my approach was really very rigid. But then working with interaction designers, they opened my understanding. It's like, you know, you can approach design research in you know add some play to it and you'll you'll see that your learnings and, and your insights 
can be very exciting and, and even the participants are, are really excited to, to be part of it because a lot of times during design research, most of the times it's just some guy sitting down and you know asking, answering to questions that you're asking. And it can get really boring and, and stale. But if you add some play to it, but really well thought out activities, it's, it just changes the whole atmosphere and people are just more willing to give you more. Other, uh, other designers I'm excited to work with are comms designers. Because when you're out in the field or when you're conceptualizing, they are very quick at like putting the visuals together and, and representing what you're trying to, what you're trying to create Mm -hmm. in, in you know in quick visuals that you're like oh, okay yeah yeah let's try and work with that and see how people will react to that that's really exciting the people that i am starting to really understand how their craft affects my craft or affects how my craft is plays a role in different parts of the processes business designers because they come heavy during ideation and implementation when it's a solution you're trying to think about, okay, so how do we push this to scale? But then me as a design researcher, how does, how do the insights and the stories that we, we, we heard in the field inspire that scaling? Yep. <laughs> and and it's, it's, it's really exciting to, to see how, you know, those, how those different crafts in a way come together and cross pollinate. So, mm -hmm. Business designers are very, very interesting, very thorough. Well, they're, they're really well thought out in their approach. And just the amount of rigor that they put into the work that they do also is quite inspiring to how I approach, how I show up as a designer. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. So I can say, honestly, I can say it's these different crafts and these different skills tend to inspire me in one way or another. But the, 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 those ones, naturally, I just gravitate to working with, especially if we're starting on a new project and, and how their skills can inspire what, how I approach, you know, the inspiration part of the pro process. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. So I, you've touched on your design journey and how that, that shaped you. So have you got any kind of tips for designers on their design journey and how, how to open up and let it shape you? Yeah. Well, a couple of things I've learned well at idea.org is, first of all, pay attention to what you're really excited about. And that will shape how you show up as a designer. So, I am, for example, in my case, I'm really excited. I'm, I'm passionate about, you know, understanding, like there's the curiosity, the natural curiosity in me drives my, the way I show up as a designer every day. And that's also helped me develop my skills in asking the right questions, asking good questions. So if you're naturally curious, that will shape how you show up and it will shape your skills it will shape you understanding you know be getting becoming better at being empathetic 
but also there are people who are also excited about making the best or the baddest posters and, and, and logos just to you know, excite people and stimulate people visually. If that's what drives you, then let that be the thing that you, know, you wanna be better at each and every time. But, which brings me to the other uh, point is collaborate, find people with different skills that you can collaborate with and you know, show them whatever you're working on. Let them walk them through what you're thinking, what the process is, whatever, whatever you're trying to get to. Let them build you and, and make, you know, inspire you to, to look at things from a different angle or from different angles that you might have missed initially or you might have overlooked. And, you know, collaboration is really important. We sometimes, some cultures you know, are set up in a way that you might think that if I show this person what I'm working on, they'll steal it. But I mean, if you're really confident what you're doing and you're really excited about what you're doing, then the idea is yours. You're, you're collaborating with other designers will just strengthen your resolve and your, your determination to make whatever you're working on better. Mm-hmm. So don't fear <laughs> your idea being stolen or your, it's actually, they say it's, it's flattery in a way. If, if someone steals your, <laughs> your ideas, it's, it's some form of flattery, but let that also push you into becoming better at it. It's like, oh, so you, you took that and you thought you can get that far with it. I'll show you, you know, that I, I, I'm on a different tangent <laughs> and this is what I'm aiming at. And I think the, the other thing that I'm starting to really gravitate towards is when you're, when you're, when you're, when you're working as, I mean, when, when you show up as a designer, always, always have, try and have as much fun as possible. Mm. Um, try and have as much fun as possible. Like I've seen designers who are really, so really rigid. I was, I was there before <laughs> and, you know, being rigid can be very frustrating to a team without, and the team might not know how to tell you because they think you're like a really stuck up person. But if you're not flexible, if you don't give yourself that room to like, okay, let's try out different things. I'm, I'm really excited to try this. I'm excited to try this. You will not enjoy the process as much. You'll always think that it's, it's one way and it's one way only. <laughs> mm. And this is the way I know. But if you prototype with your craft, and, and this is something that I learned from Jane, Jane Fulton, sorry. She told me that even as you approach your craft, try and prototype how you want to approach it. Don't just approach it. Don't be too comfortable with how you, you're used to approaching um, your craft each and every day. Can you, have you tried something else? Have you tried another way of approaching it, given that it's a different project? So you will not use the, sa- you know, the same principles on a different project that, that's touching on different people and affecting different people. Mm-hmm. Try and prototype a different strategy of how to approach your craft. And that means that you just, just relax, have fun. <laughs> I like that. That's really important. And have you got any off the top of your head, any quick tips for how designers can make the, their work and their approach more fun and less rigid? Or how yeah. you did it? How I did it. 
over over time, I've been collecting different methods of on design research, and the, you can go on to designkit.org. It has so many so many methods and and you know of so many methods on how to approach design research, for example, and the, those methods can inspire you to like okay, so if this is a different project and given the context i don't really know much about it let me try out before we even start recommending like what we want to do let's throw out four or five different methods this is how we want to approach design research for this particular project and you know brainstorm with the team have have a go think about make sure that the project lead you know has his or her input on on that and then you know, put these all these together and, and stage them. Mm. It's like, okay, so day one we'll try this, day two we'll try this, day three we'll try. And so it's not so rigid each and every day. You're always trying something new and you're learning differently each and every time. And so that just makes your your approach more flexible and more fun. Mm. Nice, nice. So Actually, I just wanted to pop, come back to something because you talked about sacrificial concepts earlier. I wanted you to explain for those who don't know what a sacrificial concept is. It's almost pretty self-explanatory. <laughs> it's, it's a concept that you're putting up there and you're like, hey, what's your reaction to this? And it's something, a principle that I use with when creating sacrificial concepts is that you don't make it it's put some thought into it, but don't put too much to it such that it will not confuse the person who's looking at it. Mm. If your, if the aim of your sacrificial concept on like stage on the first day is get people to react to the visuals, like photography, don't try and add so many things, words, color and all that stuff. Just get mm. people to look at the picture, get people to tell you what they think about the picture and then that could inspire what words can i add day two add some words to it get people so it's it's sacrificial concepts and you have a couple of them if you have two sacrificial concepts then you're not thinking you're not you're you're really rigid or you're not spreading your your ideas or you haven't explored enough users will start this for you you don't need to think about what do i leave what do i take to the next let let the users guide you let the users be the ones to make some of these decisions for you and help because essentially you're designing with them not for them mm -hmm. yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah 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 uh, so you've mentioned jane fulton you've mentioned design kit i know that about a year ago probably we sat down and had a really good chat about Kind of put out Behind a that board. on this board, right? I had a good chat <laughs> yeah. about like a design bookshelf, right? And you asked me what yes. resources do designers need going in. So out of that list that you've put together and now had a year to to digest that, what are your mm -hmm. your top recommendations? Off the top, this book, Creative Confidence. Uh -huh. <laughs> I always have it next to me because I think there's some principles that are really cool in here about how to you know step up as a creative leader designkit.org that's like 
I go back to it every now and again because it has some methods that I've started learning how to like changing apart the methods to suit whatever I'm trying to learn. So I don't take the method in its entirety. I might be inspired by one or two things about that particular method and I want to use it, but stage it differently. And then another book that um, I'm really interested is the, this is service design doing. I love this book because design research and in its approach is, you know, very related to like service design and how you approach like what I'm really, this is also a personal interest. I'm, I, I, I love service design and how I strengthened my craft as a design researcher is also looking at some of the principles within service design. And that's helped me, you know, add more rigor to the craft and, and try and document as much as possible because service design prompts you to be really thorough at how you document and, and look at, you know, explore different things, but really dig in documentation. And that's something that I really, I encourage a lot of designers, up and coming designers to start deepening their craft is be really good at documenting. Mm -hmm. um, a lot of times we just, you know, write down the insights, the, the findings, but we don't take enough time to document. So how did I approach, how was my approach in this particular project? What stories did, uh, did I gather? And what inspiring stories can I write for the, the different design, designers within the team to use, to inspire, you know, as the, process, as the project you know, continues developing? So service design in a way has, you know, helped me, you know, get to that next level of documenting. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah. Nice. Okay. Any others or that, those two uh, specifically? These two specific, okay. There's a... <laughs> I see your desk one. is full of good literature. <laughs> That's why I'm curious. So I'm asking is... for more. <laughs> oh, oh, oh my green. days. I think, Interview yeah, the guy. green screen. Interview yeah, yeah, interviewing users. users, yeah. Yeah, this, this is a really cool book. It has How to Uncover Compelling Insights. Amazing book, Interviewing Users. It's a really cool book. I've used it a couple of times and there's some really interesting principles that I, have, I had overlooked in the past that this book you know, brings them together and helps me. There are a couple of other ideal dot org books and ideal books that I don't have on this uh, on my table, but they're in a different part of the room. I mm -hmm. also refer to those ones once in a while. But then, yeah, the last one I think is this travel travel pack kit by ideal.org. This this is it. <laughs> it it has it has a lot. It's 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 structure. It's a really thought out travel pack. Um, okay. It's in here, it's really, really nice. Nice, nice. All right, so you had that interviewing users book. Can you have you got any examples of interviews? Obviously, you can't talk about the specifics, but how those interviews have really touched you? Because I know there's a few from my time in the field that just stand out when someone asks me. 
examples of how some of, in, interviews, of interviews that have really touched you with people and kind of maybe even changed the yeah. way you think yeah i think one project that we did we worked on in uganda touched me a lot deeply is we're talking to caregivers and male caregivers in this instance and how they're involved in the parent in their parenting and what interest they have with their kids especially in the very important stages of from birth to three years whether they know the the things that their their children need in terms of vaccines and like going to hospital a clinic clinic visits the number of vaccines that they get and so how do you how do we inspire these male caregivers to be more involved with with that and and breaking through first of all understanding the cultural constraints that exists within, within those communities and the role of men and how men are viewed but then how do you uh, how do you inspire men to you know look at their roles a bit more differently and be more attentive and engaged caregivers and not just you know passive <laughs> caregivers in a way and, and that's talking to them and really understanding like the context that they exist in the culture the cultural constraints and the and the way the culture is set up was a really inspiring it was a really inspiring experience and talking to those men helped me see that <laughs> the way cultures are set up can you know inhibit some solutions that you really think are these are the ideal set of solutions to take off and so you have to go back to the drawing board think again how do we get these these users these male users to be more engaged and how do we get them to be more excited about <laughs> you know being parents and not just being the dominant man by the outward appearance of like i have one or two wives and six eight children and that makes me a man changing that narrative but in a very organic way without really disrupting anything you don't want to come in as a disruptor that mm -hmm. that yeah that leaves a very bad effect in the community and and that's the thing as a design researcher is that i'm always i i tend to find myself getting caught in between i find this is what's going on in the community i feel it's not right but these are my biases so mm -hmm. i have to suppress my biases to understand how are these communities existing with the cur current uh, cultural constraints or like cultural setups and how do i design around that <laughs> mm -hmm. and and it's a really interesting way to navigate around it because initially i used to let my biases even the way i structured discussion guides was very biased to like i think this is right because i know this is right. <laughs> but then again no the user is right in mm -hmm. in the context that they exist so how do you approach them from that uh, common ground what's what's the common ground that you establish and that means that you have to 
I have to take enough time to understand that community or the communities that I want to go and the people living, existing in those communities before I get to the field. Mm -hmm. And yeah, th that, that's, that for me is really, has really been inspiring and, and the years that I've been, I'm you know, sorry, I lost the last sentence after inspired you a lot. But you don't. Yeah. Yeah. Inspired me a lot into how I approach design research. Ah, okay. And what about your yeah. last last one? So yeah. <laughs> you've mentioned your you've mentioned your culture, and I know I know you're a religious guy as well. So how has your culture and your faith how have they made you a better designer? Oh yeah, I think religion, my faith, has you know played a part, a big part in how it affects my, my, you know, how I show up as a designer, not just being a designer, but how I show up. There is humility that, that, that we're always constantly reminded to, humility and love. And it's so, some of the biggest qualities that, that I aspire to getting better at over time. But also these are some things these two qualities are most were some of the most overlooked <laughs> by people around us you know mm -hmm. the, there's there's always a spirit of competition there's a spirit of me first and not others first and as a design researcher you kind of you know let your biases go and think of the users think think about the users think about the partners you're not in the equation you become that that bridge or you that dot connector to the lives of people and the, the the solution and so you you really have to i really have to love the people that I, that i'm working with and also the teams that i work with the craft I, I need to love the craft i need to also approach it in a humble way without humility then you will not really understand greatness Wow, thank you. Thanks for that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, no so, problem. anything else you wanted to add or ask or put to the community? Um, <laughs> man, I, I look forward to doing this again. I think today was the first time doing a podcast. So, yeah. yeah, yeah. But yeah. I think one of the, I, a big shout out to, to you, Adrian, and Nairobi Design Week, uh, NDW. The work that you've done and that you keep on doing, you're inspiring a lot of designers. I, I can, I've been part of the process, and so I, I can, you know, clearly um, say call call out like this. These are some of the things that I have benefited from just by closely associating with with NDW and also with Adrian and the the, the community of designers around NDW. And I think some of the things, some of the highlights that I've, I've been seeing lately and over the, over the period of time that we've interacted is rigor, the amount of rigor and passion that you and the, the collective at NDW have for design and what you believe design can do to shape the narrative or the different narratives that exist within the continent. And so 
just keep doing what you're doing. <laughs> can't can't wait to see the next chapter. There's always a next chapter with every time we talk, and I'm like, huh, okay, interesting. Yeah, Definitely. yeah, Thank super you. inspired. Man. Yeah. Thank you, Don. Where can people find your work? I sometimes I tell my stories on Instagram, Adero Don, Don Adero, LinkedIn the same, Don Adero. I'm starting to get a bit more frequent with my LinkedIn posts. Mm. I listen to a lot of design podcasts. So every once in a while, I'll update something that I've listened to and that I find inspiring from a design podcast. I think I'll also encourage people to just a quick list of uh, design podcasts that um, anyone who's listening to can can go and have a look at. Creative Confidence, Creative Confidence Podcast by IDOU. Um, there's design details and there is clever a podcast about design those three there's user defenders but i don't listen to it often oh yeah and the the, the last one design matters with debbie millman yeah. design matters is is amazing so yeah those are the things that those are the podcasts that this, if you're really passionate about design you want to know a thing or two about the crafts or about different disciplines listen to those podcasts i will not tell you the other podcasts i listen to they're really funny (laughs) (laughs) that's a conversation for another day i feel like we should definitely have a separate conversation just about podcasts because we both consume a lot of this content and i'm currently working on a list as well of design and creative podcasts uh Mm -hmm. that we'll be releasing so there's a lot Mm -hmm. i mean the ones you mentioned of course debbie millman is like an og when it comes to design so that's that's really a a great one 99 percent invisible is the one i i have to listen to every week that's the one i have to listen to i I have it (laughs) amazing amazing awesome thank you don it's been awesome thanks thanks adrian this is this is great next time i'm not come straight from workouts into a podcast (laughs) Uh, it's easy thank you man you have a good day and we'll do this again soon yes definitely enjoy your day man cheers have a good one cheers all right